Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different because we're actually covering the NBA today. Obviously not my forte, you know, not what I normally cover on this channel, but we're trying to, you know, expand our outreach a little bit, cover all platforms. I mean, I really do love the NBA. I just have treated it more as like a fan rather than an analyst obviously the nfl it really is my obsession that's something that i'm very passionate about but the nba playoffs are here um nfl you know really quiet right now free agency's done nfl draft all over and done with so shifting our focus to the nba playoffs a little bit here obviously i'm no professional in this in this sphere so if i you know get any takes wrong you disagree with me feel free to hit me up at murphy's league on instagram if you got my number feel free to text me always down to talk some nba basketball these playoffs have been super fun to watch i'm here to talk about each individual playoff series my thoughts about them where I think they're going to end up heading as far as who's going to win the series. Um, might even preview, you know, what I think is going to happen when it's all said and done. Probably not because I'm, you know, that I'm ruining content for myself and I might as well talk about that once it gets here. But I'm going to talk about some games that have already been played in these series. I'm going to break down each series and who I think is going to win it. And yeah, that's going to be this it for this episode. I've got some notes in front of me here, ready to get into it all. Again, if you don't agree with my takes or you got something to talk about, feel free to hit me up. Follow my Twitter, brand new, at Murphy's League. Be sure to follow my Instagram, YouTube, all that really good stuff. And follow me here on Spotify. Let's get right into it. Alright guys, so I'll waste no time. Let's get right into it. We can start off first with the Suns and the Nuggets series. Before I even mention anything about this actual series itself, I gotta give Devin Booker his flowers. He totally deserves it. I've been a little bit biased towards Devin Booker, probably for no good reason. And this playoffs, he's been out of his mind playing insane basketball, having arguably the best playoff series, or start to a playoff series ever. I mean, he's tied with Michael Jordan right now to be this far into a playoffs and still be averaging 35 plus points. Plus, plus points, excuse me. My voice <laughs> left me a little bit for a second there, but I mean, it really is incredible what he's doing. Got to give him a ton of credit. How efficient he's been while doing all this is just like so impressive to see. The numbers don't lie. I mean, the last two games, he shot 77.8% from the field um, and 80% flat from the field while shooting 75 and 62.5% from three. Those are just absolutely ridiculous numbers. He's been doing it all playoffs long. He really has been balling out. He deserves a ton of credit for it because it's just so impressive to watch. Obviously, I think Kevin Durant has a lot of credit to do with that as well. They really are bringing out the best of each other, which, you know, we totally could have seen before this trade happened. I mean, I definitely, I didn't talk about it too much as far as what I meant it for it specifically for Devin Booker. But as a team, I mean, the spacing it created for him and just the overall, like, who are you going to double now? They have these two amazing shooters. It's playing out exactly how, you know, Suns fans hope they're playing out, especially coming back in the series, being down 2-0, going back home and tying it up 2-2. That's really the best situation you can hope for in, a, in you know, the scenario that was playing out going down 0-2. you got to be happy with that one. And, I mean, as far as Kevin Durant's efficiencies, he's been 
just as incredible as well. You know, he had a couple down games there as far as his shooting numbers. His volume was extremely high, especially game one and game two. He wasn't, you know, as efficient as you'd like to see. His three-point shot still hasn't really been there consistently. Hopefully, we, you know, as the series goes on, he continues to improve on that front because he shot 50% from three last game. But the last two games were really where he turned on the gas. I mean, he was, you know, getting to his spots and making some shots, but for the volume he was shooting at, his points really weren't that impressive. These last two games, he's been able to, you know, bring those efficiency up, making a lot more shots in the mid-range off the dribble, and then he's getting to the line more consistently. We know how good of a free-throw shooter Kevin Durant can be, but, I mean, beyond that, I feel like we really knew, we, we expected this, right, from this series. We expected Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to, you know, really be the main sources of their scoring. I don't think, you know, we maybe saw how crazy Booker's numbers were going to be, to you know, coming this way. But, I mean, now that Chris Paul is out, I think it's really affecting DeAndre Ayton's game. We've seen him practically disappear entirely on the offensive side. He was already underwhelming a little bit um, as far as offensive and defensive boards go. It just really feels like someone of his size should be in there fighting a lot more. Obviously, Jokic is... By no means an easy matchup. That is literally one of the toughest matchups in the entire league. And there's not a lot of people that can guard him and contain him on the offensive glass. But you really do expect better numbers from him. It has been pretty disappointing in that sense. You've definitely seen that in the games as far as, you know, Monty Williams is kind of sending us that message as well that he's a little bit disappointed in him. The fact that Jock Londale, Lon, is that his name? Landale has been playing over him in some of these clutch time scenarios really does, you know, just show that Monty has definitely lost some faith in him. Obviously, he's <laughs> been a huge topic of discussion pretty much all year, pretty much since he got that contract of Suns fans because, you know, kind of got overpaid there. And, you know, it's times like this where you really need him the most, especially if you're going to be facing a guy like Anthony Davis in the next round. If he continues to play this way, you know, it's going to be really tough, especially in the paint to get points effectively if DeAndre Ayton keeps playing this way. I, again, Chris Paul being out has a big reason or just has a lot to do with that off the pick and roll, not being able to use that and, you know, have that in your arsenal is definitely a big deal for them. But I mean, you, you really need him to show up in these next few games. And beyond that, if Phoenix's bench, I mean, even if Aiden doesn't show up, if Phoenix's bench gets 40 every single game, like they, I think they had 40 this last game, man, they're going to be fucking so hard to stop. And obviously that's not sustainable. You can't expect that. But I mean, it really was pretty ugly. Landry Shamit came up really, really big in the fourth quarter for them this last game in game four. But before that, they were getting, you know, little to nothing from Cameron Payne to uh, Josh. Oh, I never know how to say his last name. Uh, Damian Lee, Landry Shamit. A lot of those guys were not giving them a whole lot until game four. If they can continue at the pace they had last game, that's going to be a huge huge relief on Kevin Durant and Devin Booker's shoulders, especially because uh, you eventually expect Booker's efficiencies to go down a little bit. If anything, KD's can almost get better because his volume has been so ridiculous in terms of shooting. I mean, just a couple games ago, I think it was game three, I believe. It was game three or it was game two. He shot 31 shots. I don't have the stats right in front of me, which I thought I totally did. I don't know where. They went. Anyways, I know he shot 31 shots in one of those games. So if anything, you expect his efficiency to increase a little bit. Maybe Booker's goes down. And with those bench points, that's an offense that's just going to be so damn hard to stop and keep up with. Um, but, I mean, as far as the Nuggets side of the ball, 
We know what to expect. We know how well Jamal Murray has been playing in these playoffs. He continues to do it. Jokic, obviously, you know, two-time MVP for a reason. Been showing that each and every single game. Just absolutely <laughs> destroying anyone and anything he goes against in the paint. Um, that's no surprise at all. Dropping dimes along the way. Michael Porter Jr. doing his thing. Like how Aaron Gordon, you know, started the series defensively against Kevin Durant. I thought he was giving him a lot of fits. Uh, as far as just an athletic, you know, freak and you know, that profile, that's a really good matchup against Durant. Maybe, you know, there are no good matchups against Durant because he is the slim, slim Reaper after all, and he's just ridiculous. But, I mean, as far as a profile and someone of, you know, with a skill set, that would be the type of skill set you would want on Kevin Durant. Um, and this series, I really don't know what to make. I'm very torn about who I think is going to win this series. I still think it's going to go to seven games. And obviously being at home for Denver is a really big home court advantage. I think I would still lean Denver because I don't expect Chris Paul to come back. And if he does, he's not going to be at full strength. I don't like what I've been seeing from Aiton and how he's been able to like not been able to stop Jokic. And honestly, I think Denver's bench has been a little bit spotty these last couple nights. I think they're asking too much of Jokic and Murray. I think once they get in those home atmospheres and they get themselves settled a little bit, I think their bench produces a little more. And I mean, they're just so deep. Their depth is far better than the, than the Suns. You know, that's not a hot take at all. I really think that's going to be you know a deciding factor in this series. And don't get me wrong, this is like. I think out of all the series that are going on right now, this is probably the one I'm most torn about, about who I actually think is going to pull it off. But I guess put a gun to my head, I'd I'd say Nuggets. But if the Suns win, am I going to be surprised at all? No. I just think it's going to come down to, you know, KD and Book are going to do their things. I feel like it's just fair enough to say. It's like Jokic and Murray. Like, we know what those guys are going to do. It's going to come down to the pieces around those guys. I just think the Nuggets have a little bit more depth and... You know, they've been playing together a little bit longer in some of those aspects that I think that's going to matter a little bit more. Um, obviously, you know, people have been talking about like, oh, who's under more pressure? Who's going to want it more? Both these teams want it. I really don't like bringing up themes like that. But I mean, it's going to be a damn good series. Uh, obviously, like it's going to come down to just a few shots. That's going to be the difference. Who's going to make those few buckets? Both of these teams are so good. They're so complete. They're so competitive that, I mean, it's going to be... Yeah, literally a game of a few seconds, a few shots, and those are going to be what's, you know, kind of beat the difference in these ones. So let's talk about the Jokic frustrations before we move on a little bit. Obviously, there was a <laughs> pretty funny video of him going around, in my opinion, when he he balled out for the Nuggets last game, right? And game four, put it all on the line, ended up not mattering. I believe he finished the game with 40-plus and 15-plus boards. I don't remember his exact stat line. I can look it up really quick. Um, but <laughs> there's a video going around of him, you know, seeming to get really frustrated with some of his teammates and he's just exclaiming, there's only two of them. There's only two of them. It's pretty damn funny. Um, and I mean, while he does have a point again, he, he dropped 53 points. <laughs> yeah. 53, 11 and four boards, uh, shooting 66% from the field and 50% from three and he still lost. So Again, I think that's just frustrations boiling through. That's going to happen. He, I, I don't expect a stat line like that to happen again where he loses. I think the bench just has to show up more. And another storyline coming out of this one is, you know, the 
him getting in a little I don't want to say scuffle because you know he he shoved him but it really wasn't a shove it was the, the owner totally flopped if you didn't see it the he put his elbow and kind of moved his elbow against the Suns owner because they were delaying uh, the game from proceeding there were uh, it was him and a couple of other people in the crowd that I wasn't totally sure of the whole scenario but I guess the ball was lost in the mix there and he was stalling the game holding on the ball Jokic got frustrated and just put his elbow out and kind of you know gave him a little nudge it wasn't a shove it really wasn't a shove um, but the owner you know threw his body back really sold it and now Jokic is sitting there with the $25,000 fine he avoided the suspension luckily that have been just a total fucking mess but I thought Mike Malone the Denver Nuggets head coach I thought he had a really really funny quote about this that I'm going to share with you guys now so the question was or Mike I think it was crazy that Nikola got a technical foul he's going to get the ball and some fan is holding on to the ball like he wants to be a part of the game reporter the fan was the owner of the Suns Michael Malone, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I thought that was pretty damn funny, and yeah, he shouldn't give a shit. I it really is just not a good look on the the owner, in my opinion. I really don't think Jokic did anything wrong in that scenario. I thought it was pretty funny though. Thought I'd share that with you guys. Let's talk about Celtics Sixers quickly, um, and maybe not quickly because I ended up talking about the Suns and the Suns and the Nuggets for eleven minutes. So we'll see how long this takes us. But either way. Um, game four of this series, another fucking awesome game. Really cool to see Harden kind of redeem himself after absolutely balling out, going for 45 in game one, and then completely disappearing. Fans were asking for, you know, to give him the Ben Simmons treatment, slap him on the bench, and get rid of him ASAP. He responded quite well in game four, bouncing back with 42 points and the go ahead three in OT with 19 seconds left. What everyone's talking about this game though is not the the blundered 76ers lead that you know the Celtics crept back into this game. It looked like they were going to win the game with many, you know, looked like they had a lot of chances to win this game. Kind of blew it themselves a few times, which is interesting to say because at one point it was like it was just a blunder after blunder after blunder. It was like the Sixers looked like they were going to pull away according to ESPN's win probability they had like an 87.6% obviously take this with a grain of salt because none of this shit really matters anyways but according to ESPN they had an 87.6% chance with 7 minutes left in the 4th to win the game next thing you know the Celtics have an 80% chance with like a minute left and it's just it's just going back and forth back and forth which team is not going to blow this game or which team you know is going to end up blowing this game um, I think they you know <laughs> They kind of fucked each other up and shot each other in the foot a few times, and then they ended up trading back and forth, ended up going into overtime. Really entertaining stuff. Um, Harden was the one that actually forced overtime with a little floater over Al Horford, a matchup that you know Al's going to have nightmares about. And then Harden was the one in OT who shot the three for the go-ahead with 19 or 18 seconds left, I believe. And then obviously now the storyline that everyone's talking about, the timeout that wasn't called by the Celtics, I've heard a bunch of different mixed things about it. Actually, that, before I talk about this, I have to talk about the double team that came to Joel Embiid that led to the pass, that led to the Harden three. I don't know why you you would ever double team in that scenario. Uh, and again, like, I'm not some basketball enthusiast and I don't know, you know, the ins and outs and I don't know all the fundamentals and stuff. But why would you not just... Yes, I know, it's a mismatch. Tatum's on Embiid and 
you're coming from a weak side, but your your weak side, or no, that's the strong side technically, because it's Harden shooting it. Why would you ever leave Harden there? Just take the two. It's only going to be a tie game at absolute worst. You leave Harden open, he hits a three. Now you're down. Now you need to make a shot. I don't, I don't know if I'm missing something here, but I don't know why you would ever just not, you know, just play, just play for overtime. That's all right. You're not going to lose. That's just don't lose just anything but the three, anything to go down points where you need to be put in a scenario where you absolutely have to get a shot off. Because even if he makes the two, if that Marcus Smart scenario happens and you know, he doesn't get the shot off in time. Oh, well, you're going into another overtime. It's just like our, wait, I'm trying to think now. No, that, that, that has nothing to do with it. Cause that was, that was overtime. That wasn't the end of regulation. Don't listen to me, but I mean, either way, theoretically you know you could get a better look you wouldn't have to force it so easily you know if you don't get the shot off you don't get the shot off whatever but don't leave Harden who's been cooking you all night at that point I believe he was five for eight from three-point land don't let him get a wide open shot I don't know why you're leaving him like that and again I'm not in the film room I don't know if Embiid normally doesn't see the double well I don't know if you know I don't know the ins and outs but I just don't get fundamentally why you would do that and maybe that's just me again if i'm wrong about this one hit me up but yes it's a mismatch you don't want tatum on Embiid in a perfect in a perfect world um but there is no perfect world for garden Embiid, and he's in the paint he can't win the game right there that's okay let him have it you know who can win the game right then and there is harden if he makes it so it's just i don't know it was stupid and then obviously Everyone's talking about the timeout or not taking the timeout. I don't really think that's a problem. I know Joe Mazzulla, obviously, he's going to come forward and say, like, yeah, that was the plan. We're not going to call a timeout because not a lot of coaches are going to swallow their pride, even if they're wrong, and say, like, oh, no, I probably should have called a timeout. Especially, you know, one of his scenario where this is a team with a ton of pressure to win right now. I, you know, I don't think he's lying and saying that that was the plan. That was what we were supposed to do. But this feels kind of like a theme that the Celtics have been struggling with here. They seem to, you know, kind of, they don't have individual players that choke up, but just as a whole, they kind of don't handle the end of games too well. I'm again, and I'm not a basketball guy and I've never coached or anything like that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know why you would, would you just, just call the timeout, man, just draw up a play. I know that you think you're good in transition, you can get these things going, and they like the, the set that they got, but why? You have two timeouts. Like, there's, there's, it feels so unnecessary to not call a timeout. It's just, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, it always feels better to talk it over with me, and I really don't get why the call, timeout wasn't called there. Beyond that, I think the Celtics are clearly the more talented and much deeper team in this one. Uh, Dark Rivers. People have been very critical of him. Sixers fans, in particular, have been very critical of him. And Celtics fans have been pretty critical of jo Joe Mazzulla. So I think it comes down to, you know, which coach can get out of their team's way. Uh, it's going to come down to can Harden, which version of Harden is going to show up. You know, that's going to be a very important factor in all this. If game one Harden's going to play and game four Harden's going to play um, and show up for two of these next games, they're probably going to win in seven. If he doesn't and he only shows up for one of the two games or one of the, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, one of the next three games, because I think it goes to seven, then they're probably not going to win the series. But either way, if, again, put a gun to my head, you make me put all my life savings on it, I'd probably say Celtics, because they're just, again, I tend to lean towards depth, and 
maybe I'm doing this wrong, but I've seen him do it before. I've seen him get this far. Uh, Joel and James, you know, they've never been to the finals before. These guys have. They know what it takes to get there. They know what it's like. And frankly, not that I, again, and maybe this is a little bit of a cop-out, but Harden and Embiid seem to be getting really tired by the end of the games. These Celtic dudes, they're young. They're fresh. They're good to go. Particularly Embiid. I mean, I don't like that P.J. Tucker even had to bitch him out at the end of Game 4 and give him something to, you know, have that extra motivation. This guy just won the MVP. He, I mean, he's not saying that he didn't care about the MVP, but he was, he emphasized in his MVP acceptance speech that, you know, this isn't what it's about. I need to go win a championship. And I don't know. It just feels like he kind of mentally checks out some fourth quarters and I know he's exhausted and all that stuff, but that matters, especially when you're going to be playing really deep, long series against really fast young teams like the Celtics. So I would say the Celtics are probably going to win this in six or seven, probably seven, and again, I think this, the biggest differences are really experience. They've made it this far before. I've seen them do it. I trust them to do it. And depth, that's really what it comes down to for me. Up next, let's talk about the Lakers versus the Warriors. This probably is my favorite series for obvious reasons. Obviously, Cali Boy. I got a lot of family members that love the Lakers. Shout out, Lakers. And the Warriors have been, you know, a dynasty for many years now. Defending champions, LeBron versus Curry. I mean, there's so many different reasons why this series is so awesome. Who, who knows how many times we're going to be able to see these guys, especially in the playoffs, play against each other. So, you know, appreciate greatness while you can. If you haven't checked out one of these games yet, go watch one. Um, game one was awesome. Then they've traded a couple blow, blowouts. So hopefully, you know, following the theme here, game four should be awesome. <laughs> hopefully in Los Angeles, obviously LA leading the series 2-1 right now. I think, I really do think the Warriors are going to win tonight, and I might be, bite my words literally as soon as, like, you guys are listening to this, you guys might already know, I might have already bitten my words, because by the time you guys are listening to this, that game is, you know, last night, or whatever it might be, um, but I do think this, the Warriors even up the series in this one, I think it goes to 2-2, again, this is another series I could definitely see going to seven or six games, um, and it's, it feels like a cliche to say this, but I've, cause I've talked about this, but this really is what the playoffs is. The stars that are the, you know, the most talented guys are going to do their thing night in night out. That's really what you can expect. Obviously sometimes Curry's going to be a little cold or, you know, Braun's not going to have the most efficient night from three or whatever it might be, you know, but at the end of the day, that's not really why we're talking about these series. And that's not what really makes these series so interesting because again, it's, it's everything else. We kind of know what to expect from those guys like a Steph and like a LeBron. So, I mean, I really think the biggest difference makers in this one are Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell. I mean, in the Lakers in the Lakers, of course, in the, from the Lakers point of view, that's their biggest because defensively, although Looney did an amazing job on the offensive and defensive glass in that King series, Defensively, I mean, he just cannot match up with AD. Yeah, it's just a total mismatch in the paint, end of story. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle that, especially how they contain, you know, the pick-and-roll game with him and Schroeder. That's been working really well for them. And the pick-and-roll with D'Lo. They, they do them both. Uh, dribble handoffs there, too. They work pretty well for them. Um, and, you know, if these guys can just consistently shoot well, Schroeder and D'Lo tend to be guys that are a little more consistent. Obviously, D'Lo really been showing up and crucial moments for the Lakers at multiple games this you know the during the play-in he did it you know last series he did it he's doing it for them this series D-Lo 
coming through in the clutch for them in a lot of scenarios. So hopefully you can keep doing that. It's been really fun to watch. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My goodness. Obviously, we know what Austin Reeves can bring to the table for him. We know how Jared Vanderbilt has been asked to guard Steph Curry a lot of the a lot of the times. I love the defensive lineup of Vanderbilt. Schroeder's got some really good hands on the steals. Don't sleep on him. And then AD in the paint, averaging an absurd amount of blocks. When those three guys are on the court together, I love the you know complexity and diversity they have on defense because Vanderbilt you know can guard basically anyone from one to a four with just how long and athletic he is and how much of just a pest he is shooter obviously you're gonna have him on the point guard or a shooting guard but again pretty good hands and can get a decent amount of steals and then ad just clogging up the paint i love that defensive lineup for the lakers and then you know they've got some some firepower as far as rui hachimara has had some extremely efficient games especially from three he's been a huge addition to him uh, I really did sleep on the Lakers additions they made. I talked about it previously on my podcast, and I, you know, I said I liked the moves. I said they were a better team. I liked the spacing they got. I liked, you know, the defense of Jared Vanderbilt they added and what he was going to, you know, bring to the table as far as just an overall defensive weapon. But I really didn't think it was going to move the needle enough for them to be serious contenders. I still don't know if, you know, I think they're going to make it out of the West, but the fact that they're, you know, they're in serious competition with the Warriors to make the Western Conference Finals. I gotta give them a ton of credit. I still don't think they're quite as good as the Suns or the Nuggets because I don't think offensively they can do what those teams can do as far as just lighting up the scoreboard in a in a hurry. But I've got to say I'm really impressed with what they've been doing. I don't think I gave them enough credit for the moves they've made, and yeah, now I, now I, I owe them that. <laughs> I owe them that. Um, really impressed with what they've been doing, and as far as the Warriors side of the ball. I think it really does come down to, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but how does Wiggins play in the paint defensively against Anthony Davis? God, that was a loud-ass motorcycle. Sorry about that, guys. My apartment is right next to a street, and there's nothing I can do about that. Sorry about that. Um, very unprofessional of me. <laughs> but, yeah, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's really going to come down a lot to how Looney can play off of Anthony Davis and how he's going to be able to, you know, handle him in the paint. Wiggins, another really big factor in this one. He came back and, you know, hasn't missed much of a beat. Jordan Poole's been pretty disappointing this entire series. Um, I mean, here's are some of his last, I think his last five games. Or how many games am I looking at here? I'm looking at seven games. His last seven games, five points, six points, eight points, seven points, ten points, sixteen points, seventeen points. So only gone over 20 points twice. In this playoffs, I mean, he was their third leading scorer in last year's playoffs on 51% shooting from the field, 39% shooting from three, 92% from the line. So it's been a very dramatic drop off for Jordan Poole. He was a really, really important piece of what they had going last year. Um, they need him to show up and need him to show up very soon because his shooting and his decision making as a whole has been very awful. Obviously, game one. That was a terrible decision to shoot that shot. There was plenty of time left on the clock. You could have even dribbled once. It was like a catch and shoot from 29 feet. I don't know what you're thinking in that scenario. Um, really, really competitive game. And then Jordan Poole made a boneheaded mistake. And obviously you don't know what's going to happen if he doesn't do that. You don't know if they're going to end up winning the game. But he cost them a chance at winning the game. That's very fair to say. Um, going back to Andrew Wiggins though. 
he was a huge part of what they did last year too. He was all over the boards and he was playing really, really well as a two-way player, really efficient from the mid-range game and then adding a lot on de- on the defensive side of the ball. He hasn't been playing bad, don't get me wrong. I mean, he really hasn't. He's been playing just about as well as he's been playing all series, or sorry, all season when he was active this season. Obviously missed a lot of time due to personal issues. But last year's playoffs, he really turned it up another notch. And if you can, you know, find that groove that he had last year, I think there's a really good chance the Warriors could win this series too. I really do think every single one of these series has a possibility to go to seven games. And I guess, again, if you put a gun in my head right now, um, maybe this is my bias kicking in, but I'd probably say Lakers, as crazy as it is. Um, but maybe that's not that crazy because now they're favored to win this series. But that's that might be the toughest one, honestly, because it's just like you can never count out Steph and the Warriors. You've seen them do it so many times. You've seen them do it when they're down in series. And, yeah, it's that's a tough one. That's a really, really, really tough one. Now, before I get out of here, I'm going to cover the Knicks and the Nets just really quickly. Honestly, I haven't been able to watch too much of this series, um, but I got to give – a ton of credit to Eric Spolstra. That's really all I want to mention in this segment because I do think the Heat, I think that's probably not, like, of course, now I'm going to jinx it and none of these series are going to go to seven games and this Heat-Knicks one will. But um, speaking of which, I think they're playing literally right now. So I can I can give a little bit of a better, uh, yeah, I mean, the Heat are winning. They're up 56-48 at halftime right now. I think they're going to end up winning this game. Um, they're up 2-1 in the series already. I think they're going to end up winning that game. I think they're going to end up winning the series as a whole. And, I mean, for what the Heat are doing, it is nothing short of amazing. How they beat the Bucks, and how they just exposed the Bucks, ended up firing their head coach because of it, Mike Boonhauser. Um, I don't know if I said that guy's last name right. Don't make fun of me, guys. Sorry, I need a drink of water. But um, humiliated the Bucks. Now they're, you know, kind of in panic mode, looking for a new head coach, one established guy. Um, wasn't fully sure if Mike deserved that kind of treatment, but to embarrass the Bucks like that, the one seed, one of only six, eight seeds of all time, to upset a one seed. And also, they were in the play-in. Don't forget that. They lost to the Hawks in the play-in. It, they looked bad. And I mean, during the regular season, their offense was absolutely atrocious. Their defense was pretty damn solid. But their offense was looking like burnt toast. Looked like a lot of their players were burnt toast because they were just old and slow. And then Tyler Hero, you know, one of their leading scorers this season, some youth in that team goes down with a hand injury. Uh, Victor Oladipo tears his meniscus, I believe it was. Brutal, brutal stuff. Felt so bad for that guy because he's always dealing with some other gnarly-ass injury. Um, I hope he gets better soon because I love Victor Oladipo. I loved when he was on the Pacers, loved when he was on the Magic. Um, just felt so bad for him because he could never stay healthy. And now it's all happening again. Gotta feel terrible for the guy. But beyond all that, Jimmy Playoff Butler here once again, absolutely balling out for the Heat. Even the game he didn't play because he had that rolled ankle, the Heat kept it damn close to the Knicks, almost found a way to win that game without Butler. It's so impressive what they've been able to do. Gotta give Spolster so much credit on the defensive side of the ball. Coaching-wise, he's just... his schemes and how he's been dealing with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson has been nothing short of amazing and obviously Jimmy Butler is is just incredible you know arguably having the best defensive you know performance or sorry best 
all, just overall performance in the playoffs so far. Um, it's just nothing short of incredible of what he's been able to do. Obviously, there's been many iconic moments that fadeaway shot um, to force overtime against the Bucks in Game Five. Absolutely incredible stuff. And beyond that, just what he's been able to do defensively. You know working all across the board and then coming back from that ankle injury and basically looking like the exact same guy winning the very next game nothing short of incredible um got to give him a ton of credit there and again maybe i'm sleeping on the knicks a little bit here but i really do think that he end up winning this series and to be in the eastern conference finals as an eight seed and you know the road they had to take to get there it's just amazing um feel bad that it kind of sucks that the Heat and the Knicks are on one side of the bracket and that the Sixers and the Celtics on the other side because I think Sixers-Celtics would have been a much better Eastern Conference Finals. But hey, if the Heat end up getting there, they fully fucking deserve it. And if I'm totally eating my words and you guys are watching this after the series is over and the Knicks somehow won the series, then hey, fuck me, right? Good for the Knicks. They deserved it. (laughs) All right, well, that's all I got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, a little bit shorter because my expertise isn't as you know, profound in the NBA, but let me know what you guys think about this episode. If you like it, if you like the NBA content, want me to keep it up, uh, you know, feel free to let me know again, follow me on the socials. They're all at Murphy's league. I'm on everything. Now I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on YouTube and here on Spotify. So be sure to share this with your friends and family. Appreciate each and every single one of y'all and peace out. <laughs>